But church, let me invite you to uh, take a Bible and open with me uh, to the New Testament letter to the Romans. And as we've, we've just heard, we're, we're fortunate to be part of a church family, a body of believers. Uh, this is God's design. In fact, ever since uh, Christ commissioned his first followers, his people, his disciples, uh, local churches, local gatherings of disciples, local gatherings of believers have been meeting, meeting often, meeting weekly, uh, and even more often at times to open the scriptures to praise the name of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And much of the scriptures, much of the New Testament is comprised of letters uh, written to specific local congregations. We're going to look at one of those uh, this morning, the letter that Paul wrote to uh, Christians living in in Rome. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 today. Uh, And Romans uh, was likely written by Paul uh, in the uh, toward the end of the 80s, 50s, um, uh, from Corinth, likely on Paul's third missionary journey. And he writes to recount the uh, goodness of God, the mercy of God, uh, the righteousness of God. He, he writes to recount in depth uh, the truths of salvation, of salvation that God has carried out, that he has made available to Jews and Gentiles. And as Paul writes, he comes to the end of chapter 11, uh, and he's reflecting on these these theological truths, these deep truths, and he bursts into humble praise, a doxology, uh, praising uh, this God, the God that we have gathered in the name of today, the God that we uh, worship today. And then as he continues in that letter, uh, the beginning of chapter 12 that we'll be looking at this morning, there's a, a shift that takes place in tone. There's a shift that takes place in content as he begins to spell out uh, some specific implications for Christian living in light of who God is. And so we're going to look at that together uh, now. So as you find your place in Romans chapter 12, uh, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, a well-known passage of scripture reads this way. Paul writes, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord, we do thank you uh, for your word, your word that instructs us and informs us. Lord, we pray that you would do both of those in our minds and our hearts and our lives even now. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. As we begin to, to reflect and to think about uh, the theological truths that are conveyed right here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I want to begin by uh, asking a, a question for reflection of you. Uh, and that is this, what do you think of God's mercy? What do you think of, of God's mercy do you know His mercy? Have you experienced His His mercy? According to the Scriptures, God's mercy is a key characteristic, a key component, a central truth uh, of, of who He is and how He has dealt with us. In fact, Paul writes here, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, In view of God's mercy, uh, as you think about God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, do this, live this way. What do you think of His mercy? Have you experienced his, 
His mercy. The case for Christian living is built around responding to who God is. Built around responding to the fact that God is a God who, as we heard about earlier this morning, is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who is merciful. You see, this is something that sets apart our faith, our devotion to to God from uh, the, the major religions of the world. We're not gathering this morning. We don't strive to live in a certain way to obtain favor from God, to earn a right standing before God. No, we live in the way that we do. We strive to honor and to obey uh, and to worship God because of who He is and what He has already done. He's a God who's dealt mercifully with us. To our ladies uh, in the room this morning that are married or who uh, have ever been married, when uh, your husband or your potential husband at the time asked you uh, if you would marry him, uh, if you respond, oh, I guess if you, if you got married, you did respond with the affirmative at some point. But whenever you did that, if you responded in that way, uh, you probably didn't do so uh, because uh, you probably didn't do so simply because you thought it's what he wanted to hear. I hope not. It's not a very good reason to get married. You know this. Uh, you probably didn't do so because you thought it might earn you points with him. No, hopefully you did so uh, because you loved him and you knew that he loved you and you were confident that he was committed to you and would serve you and work for your well-being and the well-being of, of your family. Similarly, we respond to God with devotion and commitment and love because He is a God who loves us. He is a God who is merciful to us. And church, this God, the one and only God, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a God who deserves and desires all of us. God deserves and desires all of us. The Scriptures instruct us here to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And in this context, this reference to body, this is more than just the physical. This is the whole person, the whole being. Paul is saying, give all of yourself to this God. Offer yourself to Him. Because God has been merciful with you. Because God has dealt graciously with you. Commit your life to Him. Sacrifice for Him. Serve Him. Him, strive to honor and to obey Him, surrender to Him, bow before Him, give yourself to Him. God deserves and desires all of us. Suppose you uh, heard some good news one day. Suppose you had a friend or a neighbor who uh, came to you and uh, said, Hey, I want you to know that I've been very fortunate in this life. Uh, I have acquired great uh, riches, vast uh, wealth. I've uh, been regarded with favor by uh, my employer a a number of times. I I hit the stock market just right, and I have more money than I need and more money than I know what to do with, uh, and and I care a great deal about you. I want to help you out. So whatever whatever debts you owe, your mortgage, student loans, maybe for some of you, your, your children's student loans, car payments, credit cards, doesn't matter. I'm going to pay them for you. Uh, You send those to me, I'll take care of them. If that scenario was to play out in your life, it would be easy for you to honor that person. It would be easy for you to respect that person and to show gratitude to that person for the rest of your life. 
Church, the Bible teaches that God has paid a debt for us that we could never pay on our own. That God has taken care of the greatest debt of all. He's paid the price, the penalty for our sins against Him. He has washed us clean. He has made us right. He has given us an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade away that is kept in heaven for us. God deserves all of us. Not least of which because He is a God who has been merciful to us. The incredible thing about this God is that not only does He deserve all of us, this God desires us. He longs to be in relationship with you. He longs to be in relationship with me. He wants to be in right relationship with with us, fellowship with us, deep fellowship with us, both now and, and forevermore. And because of His love for us, because of His devotion to us, because of His desire for us, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to, to, to satisfy the righteous judgment of God against our sin. To forgive us, to restore us into right relationship with Him. So when Jesus went to the cross, the ever-mounting list of our offenses, of our rebellion, of our sins against Him was nailed to that cross and stamped, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this God looks upon our lives, the lives of all of His people, and He no longer sees us as guilty in His eyes. He looks at us and He, he sees someone who's innocent. See someone who's forgiven, someone who's saved, someone who is made right, someone who's restored. He sees those who are adopted and awaiting an eternal inheritance with Him. It was the love and the mercy of God that led Jesus to the cross for us. Paul recounts that truth this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse for and following, but because of His great love for us. Hear this. God, who is rich in mercy, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Or as God saved us, He extended salvation to us by His grace, not when we decided to, to do better and to try harder. No, He did so when we were still dead and lost in our sin. And He did so because He, he loves us. The passage continues, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Created by His grace, forgiven by His mercy, given new life in Him. Friends, are you living for Him? Are you living for Him? Is your life a living sacrifice to this God? This God has been merciful with you. Are you living for Him? Is your life more about you or more about Him? The author of the letter to the Hebrews instructs us in this way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is, is pleased. 
Lord, part of the way that you give yourself to Him, part of the way that you live for Him is you declare His greatness, you declare His praises, and you, you care for others, you share with others, you meet the needs of others in His name and, and for His glory. See, all of us, apart from Jesus, are lost in our sins. We are consumed with ourselves, but through the gospel, we are called to reorient our lives around the God who loves us, around the mercy of of Jesus Christ. As we look to the cross of Christ, the only way that we will surrender and serve this God, the only way that we will live our lives for His glory, the only way that we will live for Him is by continually looking to the cross. May we look to the cross. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, not only does God deserve and desire all of us, He is a God who goes to work for us. He is a God who positions us to live for Him and to enjoy Him, to live for His glory now and and forevermore by doing for us what we can never do on our own. God does for us what we cannot do. He does this for our glory, but also or for his glory, but also for for our good. Through Christ, God perfects and preserves us. Scriptures teach, I think right here and elsewhere, that through Jesus Christ, God perfects and preserves us. He is the one who makes us holy in His sight. He is the one who sets us apart. He is the one that allows our lives to be pleasing before before Him. He is the one who exchanges our guilt for His righteousness. He is the one who grants us new life, a life that is lived for His glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 recounts this Truth, the scriptures, the scriptures read, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Have you been given new life for him? Through Christ, God perfects and he preserves us. You see, unlike the uh, animal sacrifices that were brought before the coming of Christ and, and slain on the altar for the sins of God's people, We are called to give our lives as living sacrifices. In other words, they died. We live. We live now and forevermore. And unlike the animals who were brought to to be slain on the altar, their blood was spilt for the sins of, of the world, the sins of God's people coming to Him, striving to live for Him and to worship Him and to recognize His holiness. But unlike those animals who had no idea what was happening, no idea the meaning of their life, the significance of their life, the purpose of, of such an undertaking. God calls us to lives of worship that are informed by who He is. He calls us to understand who He is and, and what He's done for us. This is what is meant by true and proper worship. In some translations, reasonable worship. A good Translation will be informed worship. In other words, God wants our worship to be informed. He wants us to recognize who He is and what He has done for us and to respond accordingly. And when we do, church, it's a joyful thing to serve Him. A joyful thing to worship Him because He is a God who has been merciful with us. 
saving mercies of God provide us reason to celebrate. Church, reason to gather week after week. Reason to lift our voice in song. Reason to celebrate. Are you celebrating Christ's work? Believer, Christ follower, are you celebrating Christ's work? Are you celebrating what Christ has done for you? You know, we're in the heart of football season once again here in Alabama. Exciting time of year for football fans. And one of the most exciting things as a fan is when one of the uh, defending players on your team intercepts the ball and carries it all the way to the other end zone for a touchdown. Right? A pick six, we call this. Um, now, for Alabama, Auburn, Georgia fans, I know we have a handful of Georgia fans here. This, you know, this has become an old hat this year. Maybe it's not so exciting uh, for you, but for for Arkansas fans or uh, for Tennessee fans or uh, I think some other schools, uh, when this happens, this is a really big deal. Something to rejoice over, something to celebrate. We don't expect it. And one of the reasons we don't expect it is because we expect the offensive players to be scoring. So when a defensive player only intercepts the ball but scores. It's reason to celebrate. But the gospel is sort of like a, a pick six, except the pick six only leads to temporary celebration, one step on the way to a potential victory. The scriptures teach that at just the right time, in God's perfect plan of salvation, unexpected by the masses of the world, God stepped in. And he took the weight of our sin and the natural judgment and consequences of our sin on his shoulders. And he carried it to its natural and deserved end as he poured out his life on the cross of Calvary. On the third day, you know the story, he was raised back to life by the power of God, fulfilling the mission of God, the good of his people. That the guilty might be regarded as innocent, that those who are dead in sin might be made alive in Christ and receive life everlasting. And church, this is reason to celebrate. Christ's work is is reason to celebrate. Are you celebrating Christ's work? Are you rejoicing over Christ's work in your life and in the lives of His people as His mission and message is carried to the people of this world through Christ? Church, God perfects and He preserves us. Perfects and He preserves us. And finally, by His Spirit, the Spirit of God, God transforms us to see and think like Him. By His Spirit, the working of His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, God transforms us to see and to think like He does. Romans chapter 12, verse to do not conform any longer, or do not conform to the pattern of this world, but uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, people who know Jesus, people who are converts to the faith, people who walk with Christ, people who have been saved by God's grace, look at life, from a different vantage point than the rest of the world does. See things in a different way, a different lens, a different set of values and principles and devotion to the God who who saves us. Began to interpret the world through the lens of the gospel. 
So God does a work of transformation in our lives that begins in our, our minds. We begin to, to see things as God sees things, sees things and to think in a way that reflects the God who saves us. So believers no longer approach politics or ethics or education or marriage or cancer or parenting or work or funerals in the same way that the world does. No, because we approach these and everything through a different lens, a gospel lens that looks for God at work and strives to honor Him in the midst of it. By His Spirit, God transforms us to see and to think like Him. The word here for transformed is a rare word in the New Testament. It's the word metamorpho, from which we get our English word metamorphosis. Describes a a fundamental change in a in condition or character or appearance. It's very similar to the word in the New Testament for repent. It conveys remorse, a, a change of, of mind and direction. Two of the other three times that it's used in the New Testament, it's used to describe Jesus uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. The other time it's used, it's used by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and is helpful for us in understanding what is meant by it here? 2 Corinthians 3.18 reads this way. Writing to believers, Paul writes, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. I think he's saying the, the veil's been removed. The Spirit has convicted us. Our eyes have been opened. We can see the Lord's glory displayed through the gospel of Jesus. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Or as the Scriptures teach that those who come to faith in Christ, those who recognize the mercy of God and respond accordingly, are set apart by God. They are distinct from the rest of the world. They're experiencing a process of transformation and we are participants in that process by submitting to God but it is the spirit of God who renews our minds giving us eyes to see and ears to hear helping us see and think as he sees and thinks so let me ask you this morning is God's character shaping your mind is God's character shaping your mind it's who God is the fact that he is loving and merciful and just and compassionate and righteous and eternal all present, all powerful, all knowing, are the attributes of God, are who God is shaping your mind, is it shaping the way that you think? You see, by God's grace, the character of God begins to shape the way His people think. As we spend time with Him, as we read and meditate on and respond to His Word, we begin to see and to think in the way that He does, is God's character shaping your mind? Or is your mind consumed with the things of this world? Is your mind consumed with gratification in an immoral way? Is your mind consumed with the pursuit of the next promotion? Is your mind consumed with success and comfort at the expense of others? Is your mind consumed with the pursuit of personal uh, pleasure and success and fame? Or is your mind a place where God is worshipped? Is your mind a place where God is worshipped? Is your mind a place where the Lord Jesus reigns and where His will is supreme? 
God's character shaping your mind. Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. So church, in view of God's mercy, because of who He is and how He has dealt with us, in view of His mercy, let's offer our lives to Him. Let's offer our lives to Him. Let's offer the fullness of who we are to Him, for total sacrifice is the only reasonable response to God's mercy. Total sacrifice, total surrender, total commitment, total devotion to Him is the only reasonable, only logical response to God's mercy. What do you think of God's mercy? Are you responding to God's mercy? Are you living for Him? Are you celebrating Christ's work? Is God's character shaping your mind? Church, may our minds, may our minds, indeed all of our lives, may our lives become altars on which, on which Jesus Christ is, is worshipped. May He be glorified in us now and forevermore. Father, we thank You for the chance once again to open Your Word, to hear from you. Lord, we thank you for speaking through your word once again. We know that your word is alive, that is living and active. Lord, we know that the truths of your word are timeless. And we know that your word tells us that you are merciful, that you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, a God who loves us with a love that we can only begin to comprehend. What a love that led your son to the cross for us. Father, may we respond accordingly. May we respond appropriately. May we live our lives for your glory. Lead us now to respond in a way that glorifies and exalts the one and only God, the God who saves. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.